Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. You gotta understand, uh, Christ really died, and Christ really rose from the dead. I'm gonna say it again: Christ really died, and Christ really rose from the dead. They say that the third time is a charm. Christ really died, and Christ really rose from the dead. That is why we are here. That is our hope and rest, hope and glory. That is our present hope and our future hope. That is why we are here because he really died and he really rose from the dead. And because he really died and he really rose from the dead, you all can really rise from the dead. You all can have new hope. You all can have this faith. You all can have these things in Jesus Christ. For the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about flash nonfiction. Flash nonfiction. For sale, baby shoes never worn. That's one of the shortest stories ever written. It's an example of what's known as flash fiction. In that particular example, six words in length has been attributed to Ernest Hemingway, although scholars are doubtful that he actually wrote it. Uh, The way the story goes is that he wrote it in order to win a bet. What's the shortest possible story you could write? Now, whether or not uh, Hemingway wrote that story or someone else has got a really good backstory, okay. right? Uh, the, the, the thing about this flash fiction is that it draws you in and it does uh, so not by what it says, but what it doesn't say. Amen. That six word example is a mystery novel. Oh, whose baby shoes are they? Why are they for sale? And how is it that you got some baby shoes you ain't never used? Now, if it was my house, I I would be, that'd make perfect sense. Uh, All my children figured out things, two things very quickly as soon as they came home from the hospital. (laughs) One, that they don't like pacifiers. Uh And and two, they don't like baby shoes. So every one of the Every one of the Simpson children, when they got home from from the hospital, you put the pacifier in their mouth, they push it out with their tongue, you put it back in their mouth, they push it out with their tongue, and Johnny was extremely forceful with it. After about the third time of putting it in, he threw it out the bassinet. And they don't know how to put on baby shoes, or keep on baby shoes. Everybody, why your baby ain't got shoes on? We put them on when we left the house, I promise they figured out how to get them off. But, but these baby shoes, why have they never been worn? How did it happen that they're unused? Is it some sort of falling out between somebody that bought the shoes and, and the person whose baby it is? Or was the mother so desperate for money that she had to sell them? Or did something terrible happen to the baby? This flash nonfiction story 
provides no answer. The answer is supplied by us listening to the text. Uh, a few years ago, another author by the name of Zach Wardman, writing in the New Yorker, had a, a little fun with the Flash nonfiction thing, and he published a, a, a list of six-word sequels to the first Flash fiction story that might have been written based on fantasy that this bouncing baby had simply outgrew the shoes and very fast. Here was a couple of examples that he came up with in his Flash nonfiction. Have you seen The Enormous Baby? Escaped. Authorities warn, beware of monster baby. Baby crushes pickup truck, bare hands. Uh, hostage taken, baby on the move. Playful baby delighted by military helicopters. National Guard drags snugly baby home. Now everything is back to normal and everything except house-sized baby. Uh, there was a similar example that was used on a motel signboard. A photo of it made the rounds on social media not too long ago. The sign outside the, the hotel said uh, it was a short story in itself. Now pet friendly, except for bears. We're not making that mistake again. Simple phrases that have an impactful meaning. Flash. Nonfiction, and you let your imagination, your thought process work in the details. Some have said that flash nonfiction has been around for millennia. Uh, they think about Aesop's fables. Now, those stories might be longer than six words, but they're all very short and have a whole bunch of meaning. Paul was writing a letter to the congregation at Corinth. And it was a collection of flash nonfiction, if you will. Uh, all of his letters have some sort of exhortation and instruction and sometimes chastisement concerning a number of pastoral issues. Paul went around the world founding these churches and then he'd leave to go found a next church and then church folk would get to arguing with each other. Can you imagine that church folk arguing with each other? Amen. And so he'd have to write a letter back to the church he just left or to the pastor of the church that he was over, that was running the church in his absence to tell them what was going on. Uh, there was one in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 4, 21, where he tells them that there should not be schisms within the believing community. Amen. He takes the flock to task uh, uh, in, in, uh, five, in chapter 5 for uh, tolerating a, a young man who's married his father's wife and, and then uh, taking another one to court, one taking his, uh, somebody else to court. And it included among Paul's complaints the way in which the community celebrated communion in uh, chapter 11. And they were, they were uh, basing who got to eat communion first based on their social status in the church. All these things can be found at the church in Corinth. And it's clear from these times and these examples that Paul had deep concerns about the willingness and the ability of some of these people at the church in Corinth to correctly discern the truth. Uh, nowhere 
Uh, does this come up when it comes to the truth about their theology uh, and his doubts about whether or not they are theologically mature uh, than, than when he talks about the resurrection of the dead in the passage that I read in your hearing? It has come to Paul's attention that some in the church do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, some scholars would say that the idea of bodily resurrection was relatively rare outside of ancient Judaism. Even in Jewish circles, there was some dispute. Uh, that's why the Sadducees were questioning Jesus in the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke about uh, who would be married after the resurrection. Who would a bride be married to after the resurrection? And the Acts of the Apostles were told that the Stoic and other philosophers who had listened to Paul's famous speech in Acts, and they were unimpressed about Paul's claims of the resurrection of the dead. That's what we base our whole faith on, right? That's the reason why we are here. Uh, we believe that the corpse doesn't stay dead. We believed that for thousands of years, but that wasn't something everybody bought on to immediately. Uh, there was a charge. Let the church say charge. charge. Uh, the enemies of the gospel denied the resurrection, and to deny the resurrection of the dead is to deny the resurrection of Christ. Resurrection was not a new thing to the people of God. Resurrection didn't start in the New Testament. Daniel was talking about it in Daniel chapter 12 when he talked about those who are asleep would be awake. So over 100 years before Jesus, I think 168 years to be precise, before Jesus walked the earth, they were talking about resurrection. This ain't new. This ain't something somebody made up to get some folks to put some money in a plate. This ain't something folks made up so that they could get a nice building. This is an actual hardcore belief, the resurrection of the dead. That is what we believe. And it's common for people today to question and doubt and even disbelieve in the resurrection. We got seminary professors that will say out their mouth, that they believe that the corpse stays dead, and when you're dead, you're dead, and that the disciples imagined, these are seminary professors, mind you, that the disciples imagined Christ's resurrection. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. But there are people that doubt that, and Paul wrote to the Corinthian church not 2,000 years after Christ had risen from the dead. He was writing to the Corinthian church about 20 years after Christ had risen from the dead. Corinthians is actually older than the Gospels. That was written before the Gospels were written. They set up churches, got everything going before Matthew, Mark, Matthew and Luke plagiarized, I mean copied off of Mark uh, in, their, in their Gospels. Uh, before they wrote their Gospels, Mark wrote his first, then Matthew and Luke, then John. Uh, before they had those books going around, Corinthians was around. So your first Easter story, just, just this ain't a part of the sermon, but I'll just say it for trivia. Your first Easter story comes from 1 Corinthians 15. And so he's writing to these people that weren't around when Jesus, wasn't around to see Jesus risen from the dead. And it only happened 20 years ago. 
So it's kind of hard for them to believe. There's a reason that they could be questioning their faith. It's, it's okay for people to have these questions, but this was being written 20 years, not 20 centuries after the resurrection of the Lord. There was no best-selling Bible out there. There weren't churches on every corner. You can't walk two blocks without seeing a church these days. All this stuff that we take for granted was not being taken for granted back then. This is fresh off the resurrection. Not only that, they had to make some sacrifices in order to believe in the resurrection because there was a man in charge during that time by the name of Nero. And if Nero found out during that time that you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you got burned alive. So these people were taking a risk in order to believe it, but they had to be believing in something because they wanted to believe in the resurrection because they were going to have to need a resurrection sooner than they had actually anticipated and there was still no sign of return of the risen Lord during this time. Okay. Talk about a serious faith crisis. Mm. But yet these people still believed. Yet these people still gathered to study the word. Yet these people still gathered to fast and pray and love on one another and live in Christian community with each other. They didn't have to worry about traffic or rain or being late or anything like that, keeping them from going to, oh, I popped a button on my suit. I can't go to church today. They had it a little rougher than we had it. And they still pressed on. And so Nero was doing these things and then we got this scientific age where we all know about the processes of nature and we see stuff on television and we can Google almost anything we want and we know about natural life and death and death to decay and modern medicine uh, can resuscitate a body in certain circumstances but no one has ever seen those who raised from the dead not die again. So people have these philosophical arguments against life after death and the testimony of the church can seem a little like a myth left over from a former age. In addition, uh, the bodily existence was a problem to some people. What happens if the body is burned in a fire? What happens if the body is lost at sea? What happens if the people happen to be cremated? What happens to the resurrection of the body? That's not in your reading, not right now, but when you go home and you're reading, you go ahead and go down to 1 Corinthians 15, about 53 through 54, and he talks about the corruptible, putting on the incorruptible. And the mortality, putting on immortality. So there's a way for that to be resolved. That's not for the sermon. I just figured I'd give y'all that because I'm thinking about it. Uh, but these uh, Corinthians had a problem with this understanding. And, and, and this thing sounds like a good idea, but it, it's much more present to, to contemplate the immortality of the soul than this messy business of bodily resurrection. But this messy business of bodily resurrection is something we got to understand. Uh, Christ really died. And Christ really rose from the dead. I'm going to say it again. Christ really died. And Christ really rose from the dead. They say that the third time is a charm. Christ really died. And Christ really rose from the dead. That is why we are here. That is our hope and, res- hope and glory. That is our present hope and our future hope. That is why we are here because he really died 
and he really rose from the dead. And because he really died and he really rose from the dead, you all can really rise from the dead. You all can have new hope. You all can have this faith. You all can have these things in Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but Paul is sitting here arguing this, uh, this rhetoric with the people. And he says, you know, uh, if there's no resurrection, then we got to face some, some conclusions. If Christ didn't really die and really rise from the dead, then the Easter story is a lie. All right. we, the resurrection Sunday service is a lie. No need for us to, we can just close up the door, pack the door, you know, put the lock on the building, go on and do something else with our Sundays. Uh, the gospel preaching is useless. Mm-hmm. Wasted all this time going up and down 45 to get this degree. <laughs> Wasted my time right. reading all these books. Yeah. Wasted my time going before all these boards to get ordained. Yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> After Memorial Day in May, Hilton <laughs> America's. 2019. Wasted all my time going through those boards. Wasted all my time. Just just wrap it up. The preaching is useless and us gospel preachers, we all liars. (laughs) If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we all liars. In regard to the living believers, those who have chose to follow Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the witness is empty and hopeless. We wasting our time once a week on Sundays and we are still in our state of sin. We believe that Christ really died and really rose from the dead to, to remove the original sin that was created by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's why they call Jesus the last Adam. So that's a waste of time. Our trust in God is empty, empty, worthless, and hopeless. We are still in the state of sin and we are the most miserable creatures. In regard to the departed believers that we have had these home-going ceremonies for, that's a waste of time too because they perished. Uh, It's like stacking dominoes up in front of each other and and when the first one falls, uh, the rest of them fall. So if if that ain't what happened, we can just go ahead and wrap it up. We can go home. Thank y'all for coming. Good night. Not God bless, but make it home safely or whatever we say if you don't want to say God bless. But we all just wasting our time here. Ah. If Christ didn't really die and really rise from the dead, But I have to say, that's a whole lot to be doing on a lie. People have done a lot of silly stuff on a lie. People are going to continue to do some silly stuff on a lie. But I don't know nobody willing to take a lie that will get them dipped in boiling tar. I don't know what kind of lie... Would, would you have to do because the tomb had a Roman royal seal on it. And the rule was when you broke the Roman seal, whoever broke the Roman seal got broken themselves. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a lie good enough to make me want to fight lions in a coliseum. <laughs> I can't think of a lie 
that would cause me to be burned alive okay. just for professing my belief. I can't think of a lie good enough for me to be in somebody's house for Bible study and people kick down the door and kill everybody in the room. That's what happened to those. It wasn't even legal to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower in the way until after almost 300 years after he'd gone away. What were all those people doing? What kind of prank could you have to have the foresight to think that somebody, you could tell a lie and thousands of years later people would still be following that lie? Ain't nobody that smart. I don't know nobody that smart. I don't know that nobody that committed to the prank to put your own life on the line and your family's life on the line and everybody behind you's life on the line and anybody that's surrounding you life on the line. That's a whole lot to be doing for a lie. So the belief in the resurrection is an affirmation to the whole life of Jesus. Well, without the resurrection, the Christian faith can be reduced to nothing more than a moral code with uh, the guide well-meaning people about how to live their lives. How could anybody know what Jesus said and what Jesus did was worth following? It's the resurrection that makes the sense of life and teachings in Jesus. Only in the light of the resurrection can believers understand all the things that people had to go through in order to get to this point. Resurrection makes it make sense. Resurrection makes it sense that you can save one's life by giving up your own. Resurrection makes sense that the followers of Jesus will stand with the poor and the, uh, the, the oppressed and those who can't take care of themselves. He talks about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those who are sick and visiting those who are in prison. Those are people who cannot take care of themselves. That's why James said that pure and undefiled religion was to take care of the widows and orphans and those and leave yourself uh, spotless in the world because you are taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. Only in the resurrection does that make sense. Only in the resurrection can we stand with the poor and the outcast and those who have been left behind. The doctrine of the resurrection invites people to join Christ in providing care and seeking justice for the most vulnerable people in our society and trusting that God will bless these efforts even when the results cannot be immediately seen. The resurrection is what gives the faithful the, the freedom to live their lives in the shadow of the cross as Jesus did. The hope of the resurrection means that this life and our hope and the things that we work on and the things that we desire are not confined to this world. There is something better on the other side. There is more to it than this blink of an eye and this breath that we have on here. The hope of the resurrection makes all of that make since. And why believe in a God if you don't believe that that God is all powerful? Right? Right. That ain't God. You mean to tell me you're going to believe in a God that can speak and worlds are formed? Say, let there be light and there be light. Separate the water from the land. 
the one who's omnipotent, which is all-powerful, omnipresent, which is me and there, everywhere, and, and omniscient, which means they know everything. How can you say a God that powerful not be able to raise somebody from the dead? And not only is he omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, but he's a God that is full of grace. Because that's the next part about it, because he didn't have to do any of that. Yes, sir. He can be all powerful off on his own, but he saw enough to love us and provide us a way to be saved. Provide us a way to be resurrected. Provide us a way to have life and have it more abundantly. So he love, he's all powerful and he loves us. And if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, why wouldn't we believe that he could do it again? And so we have these flash non-fictions, these flash stories, these short stories that explain a whole bunch in it. I got a flash, and that is Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. Uh, He's the one that is raising us, uh, for he's the first, rather, he's raised from the dead. He's the first of those many more that will be raised from the dead. Uh, the problem for the Corinthians was, was uh, for many, was the difficulty of believing. Not so much in Christ's resurrection, but in their own. In many ways, it seems the reverse of the situation. Uh, we're, we're willing and eager to believe in life after death, but find the idea of Jesus' body raising from the tomb. Uh, the Corinthians had a problem with their own resurrection. They believed Jesus' resurrection, but now people have a problem with Jesus' resurrection. They're willing to believe in their own, but find it hard that Jesus' body uh, raising from the dead and appearing to the disciples, they find that part difficult to accept. Uh, But the great thing about what was read in your hearing is that they're linked together. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. That means there's, when you're the first fruits, that means there's more fruit coming after. Amen. There's more coming on, and that's just the first taste of what is happening in Christ. Resurrection provides reason for us to have faith in our own. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Faith in our own resurrection provides reason to believe in Christ, and faith in Christ's resurrection provides reason for us to believe in our own. There is something other than a rational argument at work here for the very nature of resurrection defies reason. It's it's, it's a conviction. Whether we start at Christ's resurrection or we start uh, like the Corinthians did or we start with our own as people would today, faith in that conviction is what moves us to the other. We believe not because of some inherent logic, but because of the acceptance of that conviction. It opens us up to the wonder to see the power of God at work, and it moves us beyond the rational and the scientific. The Bible is not a science book. It is a book about faith, and so we begin to see these things through the eyes of the faith. And so we have these flash nonfiction, this, this, these stories that are compact with a whole lot of truth in them. And I have one more that I'm going to leave you with. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 